Hi, I'm P. Sudan, a children's fiction writer. And I'm Elle Taylor, a writer slogging through the trenches one query at a time. And this is Rooting For You Pod, a podcast aimed at inspiring all creatives, especially Black creatives, on their publishing journeys. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Rooting For You Podcast. Say hello, Elle. Oh, hi. I was like, I was like, I forget. I forget how to human sometimes. So like he said, welcome back. As always, we are happy to be coming through your speakers, whether it's in your car, in your headphones, in the middle of the woods, wherever. We love to be oh, here yes. with you. <laughs> um, today we have uh, another interview and we have author E.M. Anderson on the podcast. Hello, E. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I think you chose the best letter. I mean, not the, I guess, whatever, but E, great letter. Good job. <laughs> that is so random. Because <laughs> no, my name starts with E too. So I was like, yay. I got that. I was like, this is clearly just objectively the best letter. It's like when you find out someone has the same birthday month as you and you're like, that's the best month to be born in. Good job. Exactly. <laughs> fine so I'm left out in the cold that's no you have you have two e's in your name (laughs) yeah it it elevates it it's perfect we like it we're the e-club now with our you know let's just jump right into it because we have so many questions for e and uh a quick disclosure we're all met through mother mental match round nine and he went on to have um their debut with uh oh my goodness I cannot English anymore oh okay it's an adult adult fantasy I'll save me over here <laughs> I I lovingly call it Edna like all the time so what is okay. it? Okay, hold on. I also I'm... do that actually so um yeah I I refer to it as her and I really just mean Edna because I also just call it Edna a lot But the full title is The Remarkable Retirement of Edna Fisher. We stan elderly protagonists here. So we we just want to hear. Okay, wait, I'm going to be quiet now. (laughs) Basically, we're very like avid readers, supporters, and we've watched part of E's journey with Edna. Um you know, through publication and then debut, we're still going through E's debut year, but we've watched part of it from the sideline cheering for E and Edna. And uh, it's just, it's a very unique journey and uh, we would love to hear more about it. So if you don't mind giving us like a PLDR of your publishing journey, yeah. Um, so I, so it took me longer to, um, like write this book than it, uh, normally does to the extent that I have like a normal process, which is debatable. Um, so I actually drafted it as part of like a last man standing style writing contest. Um, so it took a year and a half to write the first draft between February of 2017 and July, 2018, and, um, and so I made it through like the end of the last man standing thing. There were two of us who made it all the way to the last week. Um, and then the creator was like, okay, you guys are done. This is going on too long. Um, so it was kind of drafted oddly, uh, but I think that was good for my plotting um, because it gave me time to like do more planning in the middle of drafting than I might normally do. Um, so then I revised from like 2018 to April of 2020. And that is when I started querying. And that was a terrible time to start querying because it was like, lockdown and everyone was panicking about the pandemic and like agents will hear that that's when I started querying and they will just start laughing and I'm like okay I know but like the book was done that's just when it was ready to go um so um so I queried for two years um and mostly focused on agents and I received lots of rejections um and also lots of non-response like in 2022, everyone started being like, oh my God, agents are taking so long to respond to things. And I was like, oh, has that not been the case for you guys this whole time? Because that's been the case for me since like 2020, but all right. 
Um, so there were lots of rejections, and especially on the full manuscript, there were a lot along the lines of, I love this, but it's not marketable, um, or elderly protagonists are a hard sell, or Ooh. I know, I know, and like so many readers would be like, where are my protagonists over 40? But then like the industry would be like, we don't want them, so you're not getting them. Um, so there was lots and lots and lots of that. I mean, I also did get like the just, I didn't like this kinds of rejections as well. Um, I, I did actually have a call with an agent in September of 21, um, which wasn't an offer call, but like a, like a call, like, I think you're talented and I want to give you some info about the publishing industry. Um, and like, luckily I knew that not every call is an offer call, uh, which apparently is not common knowledge. So I'll just say that for everyone listening that not every call is an offer call. So just be aware of that so that it does not blindside you if you get a call and the agent's not making an offer. Um, so, um, so it was helpful in some ways, but it also kind of made me spiral for a number of reasons. Um, and so then around the end of 21 or early 22, I started looking into small presses, um, and a couple like big four imprints with open submission periods because I was about out of agents, but I was also waiting on rejections on several folds that had been out at that point for like close to a year. Um, and I didn't want to shelve the book mostly because I had become convinced from all these, this isn't marketable rejections that like, there would just never be a place in trad pub for it, which is a very bad place to be in your querying journey to just feel like this book will never to like, nothing could ever happen with it ever. Um, so I started looking into things, um, and, um, finally subbed to like two small presses and I think two or three imprints with open sub periods. And within a couple of months, Hanson House Books, which is my publisher, had scheduled a call with me to say they wanted it. And um, and so, and now it's out there. Um, and so, so it was like kind of a shitty journey, but it ended in a good way. Um, and I've been very happy with my publisher. So that's been nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's just, I cannot imagine having to listen to all the, this is not marketable. I, I don't want to punch somebody. I'm not <laughs> advocating for violence, by the way, but come on. It's, um, it's very disheartening. It's, it's better. So I did have one rejection um, that was like, like I knew what the agent was getting at, but the way they reframed it was like, I don't have the skills and connections to sell this. And honestly, that made such a difference because they made it about their own skills and connections and not about like the book's inherent marketability. And like, I'm still so grateful for that particular rejection because it was so much easier. Like, it was still a bummer, but like, I didn't cry about that one. That one was okay. That's such a good way to put it. Like, you know, so often it's like you said, it's not marketable. It's this, like it becomes so much about like the writer and what you've done, but like, that doesn't mean that it's not like a great book. And as we've seen through the success that Edna has had, like I remember one day I was on Goodreads, which I don't do very often, but I just happened to be on and I saw your book next to, I'm not sure if the book has come out yet, but a book by um, Lee Bardugo. And I was like, see, like people want these books together. Like they love both of these books. Both of these books should be in the world. And I want all of the great things for E. And it was just like, I thought it was so cool. And I was like, I know them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely like done. It's done better than I think I had come to expect it would. Like the one um, kind of the biggest moment for me was that um, at some point before it came out, like maybe in March, I think um, Goodreads, newsletter had their list of like the biggest fantasy releases for spring and like she was on there and I I like I got so excited that I had a panic attack because my body did oh, not wow. with all this extra excitement um because the idea that it was one of the biggest releases was like like what and yeah it was on a list with like Lee Bardugo and like Brandon Sanderson and all of these other like really big name authors so that was um just impossibly exciting that's good. I like that. It's uh, it's not for anybody. Just saying. <laughs> you did that. Um, so yeah, it's okay. So how do I frame this? You are very involved on Twitter, but I I only have like a toe, maybe a toe and half 
in Twitter these days. But whenever I get in there, you're doing something. You're talking to someone or you're talking about something. And I'm just, I can't. I'm just going to sit here and gape because I, I know I can't do that much. Um, and I'm very curious, like, how did the writing community um, influence or help your debut in your journey so far in any way? Like, I'm very curious because, ooh, you're doing the work. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, so publishing, I think it's pretty well known is a lot about connections. Um, and to some extent, I do think that's like a, you know, like if you know people, you have an easier time. Um, like, you know, it, like when, an, like when an agent or editor, um, queries and they get, and, and they get agented very fast and, and not to like discount their journey at all, because I think querying sucks regardless of who you are and how fast it goes. But I mean, they do have a massive leg up because they have connections and they have people with that. They have personal relationships that they can go to and be like, Hey, do you want this? Um, so it's really built on relationships a lot, but but aside from like that kind of influence, um, it's really good just for information because publishing as is also pretty well known, I think by anyone who's been here for a little while is a very opaque industry. Um, like we talk about this in my debut Slack server a lot that just getting numbers of like how much your book has sold is like basically impossible because your publisher will be like, oh, you can just look at the book scan numbers, but the book scan numbers are like wildly inaccurate. And then they tell you, you can look at these other numbers and those are wildly inaccurate. No, like, you no. just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, you'd think considering that like your royalty payments are based on numbers that they would be like, yes, here is how many you've sold. Um, but it's like a very common, like all the debuts talk about it. Like it just, you do not, you don't just get straightforward answers in publishing. Um, and so because of that, having those community connections is just so helpful because you can get information that by yourself you probably couldn't get. Um, so for example, when I first started querying, so first of all, I my initial list of agents to query came from a friend who was already agented. So it was like a two-year-old list at this point. Um, but But like she gave me a list of agents. Like here are people that I looked into. And to some extent, our stuff is kind of similar. So maybe they'll be interested in yours too. And so like that gave me a starting point rather than me having to just go Google and be like fantasy literary agents or something. Like I had a list of names, um, which just, I mean, it was still like a lot of work, but it was so much less work than if I had just had to start from nothing. Um, so mm -hmm. that was a massive help. And then I also had a list of people not to query. Um, and so somewhat that was informed by like writer beware and then to some extent my own impression of agents based on their social media like we're always told that like agents look at writer social media but i'm like well i do it too to you guys mm -hmm. <laughs> like even things that like maybe other people like probably legitimately good agents but if i didn't like how they interacted with querying authors i was like mm, i don't think i want to query you because i would like to work with someone who does have basic respect for people who have no power. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Um, so some of it was that, but like, I also had a lot of information about agents that I might want to at least be wary of, if not actually just avoid um, based on things I heard from friends and friends of friends, like being dialed into the community gives you information that you otherwise just don't have access to like that. Um, so that was a huge part of it. Um, I also, um, I, I looked into Hanson House in the first place because a friend told me that a friend of theirs um, was publishing or had published with them and was really happy with them. Um, and I was very picky about small presses. So many of them are like digital only or print on demand or they explicitly state on their website, authors will be responsible for all marketing. Uh, and I, yeah, so scary. like- Right. Um, I mean, to be fair, like basically with any publisher at this point, you're probably right. responsible for so much marketing. So that's yep. a bummer. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like also the reason I looked into my publisher was like because of connections I had that like told me that they were a good publisher. Um, and then this isn't regarding my debut, but um, the agent I now have, um, I queried thanks to her like of a pitch this pitch and uh, many pitch parties are also community led or community created. 
sometimes they're created by like more industry people, but in this case by an author. So that also um, is a way that community has kind of influenced my journey. Okay. Um, I also remember when um, your publisher did, uh, I think it was a Kickstarter. I, I get them confused, but I think it was a Kickstarter, correct? Oh yeah, for the audiobook. Yes. And I just watched the numbers creep up, creep up, creep up, creep up until you reached all the milestones and it was so exciting. It wasn't my book. I had nothing to do with me, but I was so excited when you reached it. Thank you. Yeah, I um I was amazed. I was, I mean, I was like hopeful because people on Tumblr in particular was like, hey, I have like a grandma who can't really read physical books anymore, but are you doing an audiobook? Um, but yeah, the support for that was fantastic. And I'm really happy we hit it so that we can make the book more accessible to more people. Oh, and on Tumblr, actually, that's the reason I have so many Goodreads ads. My sister posted on Tumblr about the book and then Tumblr just like ran with it. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, that's where the posts came from or where I first saw the posts that inspired the whole book. So Tumblr was like, oh my God, yes. Like someone wrote this. Um, so I think that's a huge part of the reason that it's done as well as, as it has is because of the Tumblr community specifically. One of the things that I love so much about your story specifically with Edna is that like, like you said so much about this marketability things from the beginning but like now it's doing so well. Like there's so much excitement, whether it's for the audiobook or like the initial release or like whatever, it's like continued because I think there's so many people who are starved for stories that like they they couldn't get access to through other ways, you know? So yeah, the elderly, I know I keep coming back to the elderly <laughs> protagonist thing, but like, I just think that it's so important and it's so nice to see. Like, yeah, and especially yeah. in fantasy, because I do think, like, it's taken off, I think, in mystery, you can find, you know, like, there are certain genres where you can find elderly protagonists, but then, like, in romance, I think it's rarer, because everyone wants everyone to be young and hot, and in fantasy, for whatever reason, um, you know, the elderly person is always, like, the mentor or whatever, so I think it was, like, just hunger specifically for older protagonists in that, in that space. Definitely. I'm just, I'm proud, like, <laughs> like we related to something i'm so sorry it might be weird but that's how i feel like so yeah we're just happy for you thank you <laughs> seeing a friend succeed is like mm -hmm. one of the best things because it's like even though like he said having like no involvement with edna like you eat like okay now i'm just gonna like you're going to go with like nice things but you know <laughs> your involvement in the amm slack like it just lights up my face like whenever i see you in there and you're such a very nice like kind-hearted person and so like seeing you do well is like like a little yay moment for me and also like you know your your story starting off in indie and then going to like traditional pub and like getting your agent afterwards I think that that's like also something that we don't always see or necessarily know about in this way so definitely excited to see what you come out with next as well um, thank you yeah, yeah I um I think like what you said about um so going from indie to trad pub just because I know of at least one other debut who's like considered a debut um, Al Hess, uh, whose book I was just reading earlier, World Running Down. So I think that's like his trad pub debut, and it's just called his debut, but like he has self-published some other books um, that by all accounts are like really good. Uh, so I think there's that too, that like if you hit trad pub, trad pub's like, this is your debut. And you're like, well, actually, I already wrote some other books, but I guess you don't care about those. So um, so he's another one who um, also did that, which I just uh, thought I would bring up since you mentioned that, um, that yeah, like it happens, but I think that like trad pub kind of tries to like downplay that you were indie first for whatever reason. Okay. Yes. Okay, go on. I have a theory. Maybe Ooh. trad pub does that because they're doing it for themselves, you know, treating the author like, okay, this author is brand new. This is their debut. Anything that happened before, 
you know, know nothing about that. It's probably for their own numbers. I mean, <laughs> honestly, yeah, that could, I, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, if I have another book published and if people call it my debut, I'm going to be like, actually, it's not my debut because there's my right? debut there. <laughs> but I feel like they also do it a lot with like people, they're like, this is like, if it's a YA author, they'll be like, this is their adult debut or like vice versa. Like if they're yeah. an adult writer, they're like, this is their middle grade debut. I feel like publishing has this thing about like wanting whatever, like to make everything feel like shiny and new. Like, yeah. even though it's not like your first book or like whatever, it's like new, new genre, new this, new that. It's your thriller debut, like everything. They want it to be some form of a debut. And yep. Again, I don't understand that obsession with like newness and like quote unquote youth, like that sort of like, let's make it new again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. No, I agree. Cause I definitely have noticed that. And I mean, I guess it's like fun and exciting if you're the author, probably because you still kind of get that experience of being new. Um, And like, God knows when I worked in grocery stores, I would claim to be new for like the first six months that I worked at a place. Um, So, so I sympathize, but yeah, I feel like it's this weird, like on one hand, traditional publishers really don't give enough support to debut authors. I mean, really to any author who isn't like, you know, their big cash cow, I feel like, Um, like, so they don't give enough support to debuts, but at the same time, they really want to milk the newness of it and like the excitement of it. So that's, you know, that's interesting that they like, or we're not going to support you, but we are going to take advantage of the fact that you're shiny and new and just like push that on people. It breaks my brain. Like, <laughs> it just totally does. Yeah, it's <sighs> definitely a shake my head moment right there. Oh. <laughs> now, there is one other thing I've been curious about. Um, and that is uh, Whisper Networks. So all I've ever known are, you know, the Whisper Networks from my perspective as someone who's trying to get traditionally published. But I wonder if, you know, for Edna's journey, if it played any different role for you? Because you did mention having to research um Anderson's house and house and stuff like that so I'm just curious if there is any difference between Whisper Network if you're going Tripub and Whisper Networks if you're you know going indie pub yeah so um so generally speaking I'm actually more dialed into the trad pub Whisper Networks just because like I did focus on querying agents first and that has still kind of been my overall um, goal is just to like I love my publisher but just to publish in the future with with publishers with more resources and reach I think this publisher was great for Edna um, especially because it's like a more like hooky kind of book um, but you know like it's the author dream to get like a really big advance and all of these other things um, and you kind of get snubbed somewhat with a small press where like people like this has not happened to me luckily but there have been some debuts especially like YA debuts for whatever reason where you know someone on the internet will post like here are all of the YA books coming out in April and then like their book that is with a small press is not on the list and you're like okay so it's not really all the YA books it's like all the YA books you've heard of or all the ones coming out from like big four publishers or like whatever Um, honestly, small press operates in like this weird in-between realm because some people use IndiePub to refer exclusively to self-published authors. But then if you say TradPub, they're referring exclusively to like big publishers. And then you as a small press author are like, so like, which one do you consider me? Or do you just forget that I exist? Or like, how does this work? Um, so Partially, I guess it depends on what you mean by indie pub. Um, like, I think when it comes to self-publishing, the Whisper Network is more like, like individual people are are like, I don't want to say torn down because like sometimes it's like deserved. Like if they wrote like a really racist or transphobic book, you know, like that's okay that we're being like this book is not okay and this person published it themselves. Um, versus like in trad pub when the same thing happens with a book well I don't know often we do just directly attack the author but like also you have to keep in mind in trad pub that like an agent agreed to represent this very problematic book 
some editor decided to buy this very problematic book, some publisher threw resources into it. Um, so like, it's sort of looking at more systematic potentially, like, I think most of the whispers are still about individual people, but you can kind of extrapolate like systematic problems from that. Whereas with self-pub, um, it's, and, and even indie pub in terms of like small presses, you're just looking at like probably one or a one or two person operation. And you're like, that operation is a problem. Um, like when the whole thing with, uh, what's it called? The Sage and Sparrow, um, when we were all watching that. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. So like, I think it's, I think that's the other difference is so like with IndiePub, the Whisper Network, you're more likely to hear whispers about like a publisher. Um, and also they tend to get less whispery. Like, you know, people will publish receipts online. And then everyone will kind of be like, oh my God, me too, and and tear things down. Whereas like with TradPub, that might happen to like individual players within a publisher. Here's this, or an, usually an agency, like it doesn't usually go to the level of publisher to the knowledge that I'm dialed into at least. Um, but you know, it'll be like, here's this agency and this agent is like really bad if you are, you know, a trans person or a person of color or whatever the case may be, or this agent is like a known predator or, or whatever. Um, but it's very whispery and very quiet and no one wants to say anything too much on Maine and nobody says anything about publishers really because the publishers are very big and have lots of money and lots of power as an institution. And so everything is very hush hush and it's hard to find that info. And I feel like in the indie pub space, like it's still a whisper network, but it tends to get le less whispery, I think just because people are less afraid of like being blackballed and not that it can't happen. And there are definitely like even self-published authors who have just tons of followers that they can like sick on people and whatever. Um, but I feel like there's there's less concern over that in that space because everything is smaller and the playing field's like a little more even. Whereas in the trad pub whisper networks, like every, like it's very whispery, like it is on the DL. Don't talk about it on main, be very careful who you mention it to. Um, and it's like kind of rare that something really blows up just because everyone's so afraid um, that they're ruining their own career just by sharing information. Right. So basically if you debut, okay, so let me clarify, rewind from my question. So when I said indie, I did mean um, a small publisher versus self-publishing. So now, okay. yeah. So all of this means if you debut with a tripod, one of the big, big five, are they still five? There, I, uh, it's dwindling so, yeah. so slowly. <laughs> like, I don't even know if SNS is like still. It's it's so it's bad. Still up for like, grabs. Up in the air. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've been saying big five slash big four because I'm like I don't know we're like somewhere in there. <laughs> we're the Lion King like one and a half. We've got like yeah, four and a half right now, but not as good. <laughs> okay. That was a great movie. It was like, a great sorry. movie. <laughs> I will never forget that. I just okay. I have. I'm trying a to question. be serious. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so let me, let, me, let, let me finish my talk. Okay, so what was I saying? Okay, okay, I remember now. Um, so if you debut with one of the big publishers, you will not know much about their, if there is anything iffy about how they conduct business, you won't know anything about that, probably until you're like in the debut group or something. At which point it's kind of sort of late because you're in the contract, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, so that can actually happen. I have to talk vaguely about this because I don't know that everyone has released their own like news about it. That can also happen with small presses. I think I know of at least two other debut authors this year who ended up leaving their small press like on the eve of debut because of oh. things their small press did. I think the difference oh, is. My goodness. Yeah, I think the difference is that with a small press, like they were able to leave on the eve of debut. Um, one made it really hard for them, um, but she got the rights back and everything. So that ended well, luckily. Um, the other one, I think, was easier, like had a exit clause in her contract or something. Um, but yeah, so it can definitely happen. But I think with a small press, like you probably have more ability to like get out of it last minute. 
Um, like actually my exit clause with Hanson House is pretty robust. Like I could literally, after the book has been, like I could still leave them if I wanted to. Like if I was unhappy for some reason, um, I basically just have to give them time to make it right. And then if I'm still unhappy, then I can leave. And um, and like, obviously they keep like the cover design and things that they made, but I have the rights to the text, um, which is part of the reason I signed with them. I was like, this is great because even if things are terrible, I can just walk away, um, which was really nice. Uh, mm -hmm. Not all small presses have that kind of exit clause. And I have no clue about big presses, but I kind of assume no. Um, I assume that it's harder to walk away if it's like a big four kind of press versus a smaller press. Um, I do think you might be more likely to, like, again, because I think that with smaller presses, people are a little more likely to talk about their bad experiences because they're not as afraid of like ruining their whole career if they badmouth a small press. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like maybe more likely that you would get an inkling before even subbing to them that maybe they're a little dodgy. Although not necessarily, because I think there are small presses that probably prey on authors every day. But the more I see from like big presses, the more I'm like, well, this is not that different, except that with a big press, maybe you get a better payout. Um, right. Yeah. So I think there's like just more information potentially available about small presses because of the like less amount of power in the industry than a big press, um, which is kind of an advantage, I think to to that that you just have more opportunity to find out that they might be dodgy and then if it is too late quote unquote by the time you find that out like you have potentially more power to walk away from that deal even if it sucks because you like your books coming out tomorrow or something okay that makes sense sorry i just realized i didn't meet myself um <laughs> i had two questions that are like just popped up from you talking and I'm just really curious because you mentioned like contract stuff just now and you know you always hear oh you know if you're going to go like do anything with negotiations like to go back and get an agent because of like contract stuff and whatnot and like it just seems so scary and like there's all of this like legal jargon being used like how did you handle like negotiations and stuff without an agent like how did that not even just like how did you do it but like how did it feel like figuring all of that stuff out like are you now a contract whiz because I will be asking you a bunch of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay well first of all um I want to say because I did not know this so so when I had my offer from Hanson House um I did nudge the remaining agents who had my full and the ones who got back to me were like you should always be suspicious of a place that's willing to take you on unagented because they're gonna do shady things in your contract. So go get an agent. And I was very frustrated because I was like, well, I have been trying, but none of you want this book. Um, and so it turns out that what they meant, and I think they did not clarify this because they thought it was common knowledge, and I don't think it is. So I just want to say this. There are agents who will specifically just do con like they you can I don't know how you'd find them so I don't have that information but there are agents who if you have a contract that you need reviewed by an agent but you are unagented you can just like pay them to review the contract for you I did not know that and I think these agents assumed that that is what I was going to do but I literally thought they meant go find an agent to represent you and I was like how um, so just PSA for anyone listening, there are agents who offer contract services to non-clients. I don't know how you find them, but it is a thing. So like, just be aware of that. If you do get an offer from a small press or anyone else and you're unagented, you can find an agent to go over that for you. So just to put that out there. <laughs> um, Mind blown. Exactly. Like, I, don't, I feel like it's something that's so not talked about and like, you know, you're trying to like, I don't even know how you go about finding those people unless, or those agents that offer that service, unless you know somebody who then knows, like going back to what you were saying earlier about community and like how great it is to know people that you can just like ring up with a question or like, I guess we mm -hmm. don't call people anymore because it's 2023, <laughs> but you know, you send the DM that's like, Hey, do you know anything about like how to do X? Like, it's just great. And like, it's not, you build like real relationships by like dealing with real issues and like, how do I do this? So community, always great. We are a big fan of community on the podcast. Um, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, definitely how I even found this out. Like I found this out so recently, like my book was already out and I was like, oh, well, that would have been nice to know way back. And like I said, I think that's what these agents were, were suggesting to me, but they didn't word it that way. And I think it's because they assumed that I knew that that was what they meant. And I did not. <laughs> so I like to share that information now, like just so you all know. <laughs> um, so, so how I went about it, not having this knowledge at the time. Um, so first of all, I did read it myself. And like, I am not a lawyer, I have no law experience, um, but I just, but I have an English degree. Um, and I mean, it is good for like critical thinking. Like on my call with Hanson House, they told me, they were like, anything in this contract is negotiable, except that we have to have the right to print for obvious reasons. And I said, okay, cool. And so if I had any questions about the contract or concerns, or if I noticed any discrepancies or anything, I just emailed them and I was like, hey, what about this part? And can we change it to be like just clearer? I'm like, that's the thing is like, I didn't know what to ask for is probably the biggest um, was the biggest issue of doing it myself was I just didn't know what to ask for. And I was also so beaten down by querying that I was like, yeah, you can basically have whatever rights you want, because I don't think anyone else is ever going to want this because that was the point I was at. By the way, a very bad attitude to go into contract negotiations with. So if you're feeling that way, maybe don't go into contract negotiations or find an agent to do it for you, like I just said. Um, so I mostly just asked for like clarification um, of, of certain things. Like I think uh, one thing was that like there was a slight number misalignment between like royalties. So I, I have royalties on like a sliding scale. Like the more copies I sell, the more percentage of royalties I get at a certain number. And um, and so there was like one spot where it was like, okay, you'll get more royalties at like this many copies sold. But then the next spot, like, or a different spot was like, like the math didn't add up. Like it was like, okay, you'll make this many royalties at like 3000 books. And then this many royalties at like 7,000 books. And then this many royalties at like 10,500 books. And I was like, like, I was like, well, wait a sec. Or it, it was just something where like the numbers were off by like 500 books. And I was like, honestly, I don't care where the royalties bump up again. I mean, I should have cared because obviously as the author, I want that to be the lower number of books sold. Um, but mostly I was just like, I just want to know where it does. Like, does it do it at 10,000 books or 10,500 books? I just want to make sure that that is clear. So I have no questions about how much money I should be getting. Um, so I really just asked for things like that. But I did have, like, I had friends in law school and I was like, hey, can you look this over? And my one friend also took it to like some of their professors and was like, hey, is anything in here just super dodgy and like run of the other direction? Um, I didn't have my mother look over it and she's not a contracts lawyer, but she is a lawyer. So like I could have had her, like I had, like, again, I had connections. I had community connections and maybe not specifically to like publishing lawyers, but I had connections to law people who could at least like read a contract. And if there was anything that just seemed like a red flag in just an, a ge generic contract, they could be like, yeah, you either want to get them to change this or like run away from it. Um, so that's really how I dealt with it was I read it myself. And then when I had questions about what things meant, I went to my lawyer friends and I said, what does this mean? And then I would email my publisher and be like, hey, can we clarify this language and whatever. Um, so now now my agent has actually been working on renegotiating that contract. So it's nice because I get to not worry about that. But, um, but Sam's agent, uh, you can either, again, however you would do it, find an agent who's willing to go over it for you. Um, and failing that, at the very least, if you have friends who know contracts like at all, at least just show it to them so that if there's anything super red flaggy, they can like point it out to you and be like, yeah, you need to change that or you need to not sign this. Wow. I feel like I just learned so much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking to people like I like I'm actually like super introverted and like don't talk to people but like I feel like I learned so much it's like it's nice um I'm also super introverted and don't like talking to people but you can't tell because when you get me on no. writing I will not shut up I could not tell it. on Twitter I could not tell so <laughs> <laughs> can we actually talk about like being a like published writer on social media and like because you were talking earlier about how like you know as an indie person like you you you're obviously very pushed to market your books and with trad pub they like expect you to do all of this marketing and stuff now and so like the experience can look more similar from a social perspective 
but like, Mm -hmm. how do you feel being on social media and like, you know, do you think that marketing, I don't know, this is a question I've had in general, like for TradPub, do you, do you think that marketing online being on social media, like really moves the needle? Not that you necessarily know the answer to this question, but I'm always curious what people think, like, and just from both of those worlds. So, so I, so at least anecdotally, maybe there are like studies and data points. I don't know. At least anecdotally, everything I've heard, even though TradPub just thinks that TikTok is like the magic bullet that, and all the authors got to get on TikTok and then you'll all sell a million books. And that is just not the case. Um, It seems like there's very little authors can do themselves to effectively market their book. Like, like, like on one hand, it's a little depressing because on like, no matter how much you post on social media, you are probably not selling your book. But on the other hand, it's kind of comforting because then like, for example, um, I am allergic to video. That is not my medium. I don't even really watch videos online much. Um, Like I missed out on Vine completely somehow. I didn't find out about it even until it went bankrupt. Um, (laughs) That's just how I am. And so like, it's comforting too, because I'm like, okay, so I don't have to get on TikTok no matter what any publisher says, because me being on TikTok is not going to sell my book. Like it's really, it's word of mouth. It's, it's readers. Well, I mean, the whole thing that happened with this is how you lose the time war, right? Where like four years after it came out, a reader was like, oh my God, this is extremely very good. Everyone go read it. And was just feral for it on Maine. And everyone did. And it like suddenly just sold. And I think like got reprinted or something. Like it was this huge thing that was so great for the author. And the author had nothing to do with that, except that like the author wrote the book in the first place. Um, So it's really like readers selling on social media. Um, I do think social media is helpful for I mean, like, who knows which social media is helpful for this anymore now that Elon Musk is destroying Twitter. But anyway, um, I do think social media is helpful for writers in that, like, it can help you connect to the community. um, Mm -hmm. Assuming, I'm going to say, assuming you are doing it in a constructive way and that you are not getting involved in discourse for clout or tearing people down for clout, I would caution anyone against doing that. It definitely happens. And I feel like it's happening a lot right now. That is not an effective way to build community because everyone is just distrustful of each other and ready to turn on each other. And that is not what an effective community is. Um, But if you're if you're connecting with people because you're legitimately interested in what they're doing and they're interested in what you're doing um, and you're all kind of lifting each other up, you know, you're more dialed into information that way, which is really helpful for authors. So even if you don't get any like, quote unquote, let's say useful connections out of it. You're you're dialed into publishing information and that is useful. Um, and you can connect with readers that way. I, you know, maybe you don't necessarily sell books that way, but at least like the word is out there, which was kind of my number one concern being with a small press was just, are people aware that the book exists? And mm-hmm. so from like May of 22, when I, we announced the book deal until my sister posted on Tumblr in December, like, at least once a week. I was like, hey guys, don't forget, I have this book coming out and I just want to make sure that you all know that it is coming out. And then from there, I can't do anything, but you know, just be aware. You, I'm a broken record, but you've done a lot. (laughs) I felt like I did a lot. It was so much. And then, and then the book came out and then since then I've done nothing because I'm like, I don't have any more energy to talk about this book anymore. (laughs) You get to be tired though like you've done so much like I know we've talked about this like multiple times throughout the podcast but like I feel like there must be a certain amount of like tiredness like exhaustion after you debut because you've like put so much work into like not just writing the book then marketing the book reminding (laughs) people consistently about the book and then it's like you gotta rest sometime like but also you have to be writing more books unless you want like one and done yeah um no it seems from from my debut group um it seems like it is a very common experience that that your book comes out and then you just like need to sit back for a couple months because you're just so exhausted um i am not the only one who has felt that way for sure so it it seems pretty pretty common just because so much does go into it before the book comes out well at least we can say we've been warned right now 
(laughs) exactly like warned and like also I don't know it's it's exciting and it's also terrifying like almost anything because it's like you want to do it like you want it but at the same time it's like this is going to be tiring (laughs) it's like running a marathon right you're like you want to run the marathon but you know at the end of the marathon you're going to be like I want to sleep for a couple days yeah (laughs) yeah I think that's a really good analogy I think it's very much like that okay um I know you've mentioned one author already um with a somewhat similar debut to yours but I'm curious if you have more authors you would like to shout out now Um, is the time yeah um so um so I actually have some self-pub indie authors to shout out um so I recently read an advanced reader copy of Tess Carletta's debut Kitten Basie um it's a cozy queer romance with magical elements and it um kind of reminded me of Sangu Mandana's The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches which I read over Christmas and was like instantly obsessed with um so Kitten Basie isn't out yet and I'm not sure when it's coming out I think later this year um but keep an eye out for that if you like like cozy queer romance and like light magic like kind of comparable to like the lake house like that amount of magic um uh I have a friend named Jasmine Shea Townsend who writes genre fiction with a literary voice um mostly short stories most recently in the midwestern literary magazine of rust and glass volume two um but she also has a collection of fantasy and sci-fi short fiction called fairy tales and space dreams that's from 2019, so like a little older, but um, they were really lovely stories, um, very diverse, also some queer rep, uh, and the cover art is like just so gorgeous, like Google fairy tales and space dreams, Jasmine Shea Townsend, and like just like salivate over that cover, it's beautiful. Um, and then I have to mention um, S.J. Whit- Whitby, author of the popular Cute Mutant series, which is an X-Men inspired super queero series uh, that starts young adult, but the kids age up throughout the series. Um, and there's also some spin-off series, or at least one, maybe two, um, and some standalones. Uh, the most recent oh, standalone. Wow. Yeah, like they're they are prolific. They write so fast and like they will turn out like a pretty good first draft in like three weeks. It's incredible. I think that's their superpower. <laughs> um uh, my favorite standalone of theirs is actually a middle grades book I loved called The Mutant Sitters Club. Um, so that was like really lovely and sweet and fun. Um, but it does take place after the original series. So just be aware of that if you do not want spoilers for how that series ends, I guess. Okay. Um, we're going to try and have all this information in the show notes so people can have a easier access to it. So Elle, do you have any other questions? Anything that popped in your brain? No new questions have popped into my brain, but we really want to know where listeners can find you on the internet and buy your book and all that good stuff. Um, okay, well, um, so The Remarkable Retirement of Edna Fisher is available at um, the usual major retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Bookshop, which benefits um, indie bookstores. You can also order online through most indie bookstores, so check with your local indie if you have one. Um, I like to support them. Um, audiobook is in the works, but I don't have a release date for that yet. So just keep an eye on my social media. Um, my handle everywhere is Eliz M. Anderson, or um, as everyone on Twitter misreads it, apparently Eli Z. Anderson. Either, either way, <laughs> hopefully you can spell it. That is, um, yeah, that blew my mind the day that I found out that everyone was reading my handle, not the way that I intended them to. Um, I am on Twitter until uh, until I have to pay Elon Musk to use it at all, and then I'm gone. But for now, I'm still there, uh, glaring at him constantly. Um, I'm on Tumblr. I'm on Facebook, even though I hear that's not a great place for authors to be anymore either. And it's also mostly Lord of the Rings shit posts and not much else. Um, I'm on Instagram. Not that I I don't post there much, but I do check it regularly, so I'm responsive there. Um, I am on Blue Sky and Threads, and I'm not really in either. I'm so, I'm I'm very salty about the fact that Twitter is just going down. Like, that is my social media platform, and I'm very mad about it. Um, so I'm basically, if you search Eliz M. Anderson on any social media site, then if I'm there, you will find me. I have the same handle everywhere. 
Uh, my website is elizmanderson.com and my Linktree handle is also elizmanderson and that um, has various spy links, uh, event links, there's a character quiz for Remarkable Retirement and um, just various other book things. Sounds. Um, the theory out there is that people are going to have to try a bunch of uh, new and upcoming social medias for like two to three years before the top dogs emerge, you know, from this new crop. So good luck so to I, us writers. I'm crying. Yeah, so I guess I will just not be settling anywhere new for two to three years until I find out where everyone has settled. And then I will start using whatever that social media is. <laughs> Honestly, that's how I feel. I'm like, just tell me where we end up. I'll yeah. make an account. It, yeah. it'll be fine maybe my handle will be gone it doesn't matter I can't handle all of these different like <laughs> things at the same time like I yeah. I can only it, do so much I only made an Instagram because for a minute right when Musk took over it seemed like Instagram was like the one and then for a while there it was like every two days there was new social media and I was like please no I am old and tired and I can't see so I've just been like I like I create an account, I park my handle, and then I leave, and I don't post there, because I'm like, until I know, I cannot handle posting across, like, 12 different platforms just to update you all. Tell me where we're going, and then I will join you there. Oh, yes. I'm just cackling. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Well, we hope you all enjoyed listening to the podcast. We are so happy to have you on, E. It was yep. great. Mm -hmm. thank you I was so happy to be part of it I I don't listen to many podcasts but I do listen to this one actually oh my heart just grew like 50,000 times (laughs) (laughs) that means a lot it's just like very enjoyable and the intro music is very soothing and I just I really enjoy it it's very nice thank you Um, thank you we wish you nothing but the best uh, we're going to keep cheering from you know for you on the sideline so we can get more books and more books you know hopefully build yeah. that backlog <laughs> <laughs> all right l you want to say goodbye to our friends before i stop sure. recording goodbye listeners hope you had a good time and we will see you next time with our next episode yep bye bye you for hanging out with us please feel free to find us on twitter and instagram stay moisturized stay creative and remember that we are rooting for